for tuning in to the KIRP radio show with Pudgy Miller. K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the KIRP Radio Show. I want to thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to host this show. My name is Rocco Pisertia. Pudgy calls me Rocco P. He lets me run the show every Sunday night, the last Sunday of each month, and I deeply appreciate that. Tonight we do have a guest. Before we get to our guest, I'll tell you a little bit about what our topic is tonight. Tonight we're talking about education. Education, we'll focus in more specifically, we'll get to the point of Christian education. What can believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what can they do with educating their own children, with teaching them what what really, what does God expect of us, particularly in light of what we have in our culture right here and right now. 
in 2015, the situation we're looking at. So if we back up, we look a little bit, a lot of times we lack a historical perspective on a lot of matters that affect us all the time. And one of those, one of those, uh, one of those factors, one of those issues, uh, one of the things that affect all of us is education. That might sound, you know, really obvious, but I mean, when I say education, I'm talking about specifically how the government runs education. The phrase is used, it's really a euphemism to make it sound good. They talk, people talk about public education, public education. That really, it is a euphemism because it makes it sound good. What they're really talking about is government education. It's government education. So if we back up, if we think about how, how we got to where we're at now, today, we go back about 100 years, a little bit more than 100 years ago, to what is called the progressive era, the progressive era. And almost everything politically, when they give something a name, <laughs> the name isn't really indicative of what the reality is. A great modern example would be the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act, Patriot Act has nothing to do with patriotism. The Patriot Act says, for example, that if you commit a misdemeanor, if you're, if you're convicted of committing a misdemeanor, then that makes you a terrorist. So then once you're labeled a terrorist, then you come under a whole umbrella of other of other laws. So is this really like the Patriot Act would more appropriately be called the uh, Transform America into a Police State Act, but, but they didn't call it that. So we talk about public education, we're really talking about government education. We go back again 100 or so years to the Progressive Era. Progressive Era was really a time when it was not one party, okay? It was both parties. We go back to Teddy Roosevelt, turn of the century, Republican, and then, then Woodrow Wilson, really. It was kind of like the cleanup act after Teddy Roosevelt started these, a lot of so-called reforms, which really weren't reforms. America was not at the point then where they would have openly embraced socialism. And socialism in and of itself is... It's really a lie. It's, it's the idea that you can pass a law to remove an incentive for people to work and somehow redistribute income. So, again, if you take away people's income, then it's gone. You give it to someone temporarily, and then it eventually goes away. But what, what the progressive era was was really socialism light. It was they were trying to implement that. The, the philosophical basis behind the progressive era was we had to get away from the traditional American view of individual liberty and individual rights. Individual liberty and individual rights. That had to take a sidestep towards collective rights. You know, the greater, you ever hear the phrase, it's for the greater good? And if you stop and think about it, there really is no such thing as collective or a group right. There's only individual rights. Uh, when you talk about the greater good or collective rights, it's really just it's really a scam, it's a device, it's a lie to get people to surrender the individual rights for this mythological right or this mythological good of the collective, collectivist rights of the greater good. So this really, this really transformed our country over 100 years ago. A lot of things that were really horrifically bad came out of the progressive era. We could think about how a private banking cartel, the Federal Reserve, gain control of the country's currency and credit. And the founders warned of that. The founders warned what would happen if private banks ever controlled the nation's currency and credit. And that's, that's exactly what has happened. We have a fiat currency. We have a currency backed by nothing. Historically, every fiat currency has died. They, they've never made it because when there's no restraint. When nothing backs a currency... Our currency has not been backed by gold or silver for quite some time. There was there was a modified gold standard up until the early 70s or present Nixon. It was just modified. But once this, that's been completely removed, we see inflation. Uh, there's no reason for the government to show any restraint. So people talk about, oh, no, no, a $17 trillion deficit. When you add in the unfunded liabilities, the number goes up to, I don't know, $60, $80 trillion. Uh, That was horrible. It was horrible that, I mean, the Federal Express is no more federal, uh, fed, the Federal Reserve System is no more federal than Federal Express. It's private banking cartel that controls our credit and currency. That, that, that was terribly bad. The income, the income tax, okay, the Internal Revenue Service, originally the income tax did not raise any new income. It just changed the way the government collected tax, and the income tax 
was originally instituted as a tax on corporate profit, period. It had nothing to do with individual income. So when you look at uh, the federal law, this idea that our individual income should be taxed, it, it's just it's, it's a colossal lie, but it's perpetuated. Then states passed laws to raise income tax based upon an erroneous federal concept. And yeah, that was horrible. We know we know what's going on. We know how bad that is. We think too about women's suffrage, about women getting the right right to vote. You say, oh well, oh, that, yeah, it's terrible. I would oppose that. I'm a misogynist. No, no. Well, what's happened to the family? What's happened to the family as women then so allegedly became liberated? That removed the responsibility, the traditional responsibility of men to take care of their wives. So start to inject women into the workforce. Now, how, how has that worked out the last 100 years, among other things, for the family? Uh, I remember my, uh, my maternal grandmother was fond of saying women's liberation was really men's liberation. In other words, it was, it was just really a scam designed to make men, let men be more irresponsible. But perhaps the biggest coup, the thing that was most effective as far as radically transforming our country during the progressive era, was this concept of government or public education. Let me explain. When you look at Marxism, Karl Marx okay, wrote the Communist Manifesto, among other things. In the Ten Planks, Ten Planks of the Communist Manifesto, he's talked about you know, what, is, uh, what, what would define communism. Two of those planks, one was what he called free public education. Free public education. And he was talking about a system of government control of education that would be funded by confiscatory taxation. And they use that phrase, they call it free, but you know, it's public It's public in that it's available to the populace, but certainly not free. And, and that, Marxist, that Marxist language, that's in the North Carolina State Constitution, for example, talks about free public education. So they implemented this at the state level. There's nothing in, you look at Article 1 of the federal constitution, the so-called enumerated powers of Congress. There's no federal authority for the federal government. There's no authority, no constitutional basis whatsoever for the federal government to be involved in education, period. That doesn't mean that they follow it, but it's not there. But the states did pass laws specifically adopting the Marxist language, establishing free public education. Another plank of the Communist Manifesto was the abolition of private property for public use. Again, you get rid of private property, yeah, you lose as an individual, and yeah, allegedly yeah, there's a collective or a public good, which it really isn't because there is no such thing as a collective right. It, it's an illusion. Yes, it's, some people call it a legal fiction. It doesn't exist. It's, it's, it's an illusion. But we get back to what happened, what they started then, in that progressive era with Teddy Roosevelt and uh, Woodrow Wilson, they started to change state laws to mandate that the state would then support a school system. Now, some people that would disagree with me would say, oh, yeah, there was always some type of government schools. And there's, there's an element of truth to that. But the point is, the schools that existed before the progressive era were locally controlled, and it, it wasn't done through confiscatory taxation. In other words, no one put a gun to anyone's head. No one threatened to arrest anyone. Yet people still support that education. You would pay as you go, which makes sense. Now, today, even though philosophically, I mean, I am vehemently opposed to government control of any education, if, only if, the government would stop confiscatory taxation. In other words, if they wouldn't rob all of our money for this alleged collective good for schools that I've never used and never would use. If they would at least then, if, if the state operates schools, I would still be opposed to that. Don't misunderstand me. However, if at least they did not steal our money, that would be great because then, yeah, the market forces would kick in. They would either go out of business or they would be run profitably, and most of them would probably, they'd go by the wayside. Uh, but that didn't happen. That doesn't happen. That's why when you go into a public school system, yeah, there's never, there's no restraint. Uh, there's, there's just no restraint, in my opinion. Uh, you just hire. You think about the costs that are involved. They're astronomical. It never goes away. You know, the, the busing costs. <laughs> they, then they involve school lunches. They don't just have teachers. They have teachers' aides and the administrators and the benefit package, and it goes on and on and on. And 
the thing that's really horrendous uh, about this, the thing that's really horrific about it, is that it's not just wasteful. It's not just wasteful financially, and it is. There's some studies you could cite that show that there is no positive, measurable difference. There's, there's, there's nothing good that improves in any school system, no matter how much money they spend. So that's part of the lie. And in North Carolina, I know, uh, I know people are listening all over the country, but in North Carolina, for example, we see how fraudulent the two-party system is. That this issue of government education reveals how little difference there is between the parties. You have a guy in North Carolina, Dan Forrest, Republican, okay, claims to be conservative. He's a lieutenant governor, so in North Carolina that means he he was voted in on his own. He wasn't. He was voted. He had to vote for a lieutenant governor separate than the governor. They could be in different parties. Just so happens now in North Carolina we have a Republican governor, and a lieutenant governor. So Dan Forrest is allegedly conservative. And he's made statements more than once saying he believes North Carolina's teachers should be among the highest paid in the nation. So, you know, with conservatives like that, you know, why, why, how could you really say the Democrats are that bad? So this is part of the, the illusion of when they give us the false choices between left and right, a Republican Democrat, you're hard-pressed to find a Republican or a Democrat that would say what I'm saying, that's saying, look, we have to step back and see uh, we've lost our individual liberty it's not, there is no such thing as collective good. The schools aren't operated profitably. And even worse, what are they teaching the children? Okay, that's where it comes down to. What are they teaching the children? Think about this for a moment. What's the purpose of a history textbook? And you'd say, well, that's a, that's a silly question. It's teach history. No, no. If you just wanted to teach history, you wouldn't need one book. I mean, you could look. You would look at what was written at the time. You could look at a variety of books. So, but we have this thing called the history textbook, and th- th- there's some observations that I've made. But uh, to quote someone uh, who, who's really a, a Christian scholar, uh, there's a gentleman named Gary North. Okay, and though I don't always agree with Dr. North, he made an excellent observation about the purpose of a history textbook. The purpose of a history textbook is to teach an approved view of history. It's, it's to teach and improve you of history. I could open up my college textbook, for example, and uh, there's certain things that are going to be missing. There's certain things that are missing that, that are huge, that are of huge interest. For example, it, it, it was always taught to me in, in, in grammar school, high school, and college that the war between the states, it was about slavery. You know, Lincoln freed the slaves. So, so they create this, this image of Lincoln that's far removed from history. Now, why I said about Lincoln, of course, I'm not defending slavery, but I said about Lincoln for this reason. Abraham Lincoln wanted to recolonize all the emancipated blacks. He wanted to send them back to Africa. He wanted to send them to Monrovia, Liberia. Okay, that's what he wanted to do. But they don't teach you that in the history textbooks because that wouldn't serve their purpose. So you could talk about someone like Major General Smedley Butler, Okay. He was one of the most highly decorated Marines in U.S. history. He was a hero from World War I. They don't really teach you that there was a cabal, there was a group of businessmen in the United States that wanted to set up a fascist dictatorship. And they recruited Smedley Butler, a war hero, thinking that he would lead the effort. Not only do they not tell us that Smedley Butler didn't comply. Of course, he didn't. It's in the congressional record. He, he cooperated with these men until he could get enough information to expose them. They don't teach us that one of the men that, that confronted uh, or that attempted to recruit Smedley Butler was Prescott Bush. And they said, well, who was Prescott Bush? Uh, he was the father of George Herbert Walker Bush, the grandfather of George W. Bush. So they don't teach you in the history textbook that a group of men attempted to set up a fascist dictatorship in America before around the time of World War II. They don't teach you that one of the men that did that, that his son and his grandson eventually came, you know, came to become president of the United States. And, and we talk about these facts. When I talk about this, I use this illustration of history textbook, and the problem with government education is that the, they haven't just lied to us about certain events. By them controlling the educational system, They've controlled the narrative. They control the narrative, and by that I mean they're controlling how we view and how we interpret history. Another example, case in point, going back to square one. Why are we hard-pressed to find a Republican or a Democrat that will even question the status quo, that will even question 
the utility that will question the value both financially and philosophically and morally. Why, do we, why don't we get anyone in office that will even question government education? Okay. And there's a lot of reasons. A lot of people are brainwashed. They don't question things. A lot of people uh, understand they're elitists. They, they are elitists. They want to control the masses. They want to dumb us down. Government education, if you don't know yet, sad to say it's designed to dumb us down and uh, get us to this point where they can do, they can have their way with us. When I say that, I'm not making a sweeping generalization. The system we have in the United States was modeled after the Prussian system. The Prussian system, what was that? Okay, We get this idea K through 12, and, uh, and uh, y- y- you get away completely from uh, really writing or analytical skills you want you want to basically create a cooker cutting menta- cooker cutter mentality you want you want children to go into a system and come out very very much the same as far as how they view reality this was done in prussia because at at the when the industrial revolution began they realized they wanted an educational system that would mitigate and work against individuals. They didn't want individuals. They didn't want individual and creative thinking. They basically wanted obedient factory workers, obedient factory workers. That's how we got K through 12. So I say all this as a lead-in lead to, uh, to our guest, uh, and that's Joaquin Fernandez. Joaquin Fernandez, I count as a friend, and he's a documentary filmmaker. He made a documentary called indoctrination that looked at this issue of education through the lens of the perspective of Christians. Joaquin, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? Great. Yes, I can. Yes, I can, sir. Now, Joaquin, please, please tell us, uh, tell us how you came about to study this issue that resulted in this documentary. Well, um, I suppose it goes back to the time when I was, um, I had a, a, only one child uh, of school age, and we had her in a Christian school. This was in Miami, Florida. And, and then um, uh, just for pre-K and then first grade, I believe, I might have some of these uh, data points wrong, but, um, mm-hmm. but I, had, uh, I had her in a, in a Christian school, and then we put her in a Catholic school, and, and we were not really happy with with the results that we were getting, just as far as how the, the teaching methodology was, really. You know, you have a bunch of kids in a classroom and one teacher, and, uh, you know, not a lot of teaching was going on. Anyway, in our in our search, my wife had told me uh, about homeschooling early on, and I didn't understand what she was talking about. Uh, you know, it sounded to me like, I don't know, roof gardening or something. I, I didn't understand how you could do school at home. But at any rate... Um, I was open to put uh, my daughter in a Montessori school. I went and I observed, and, and I, I saw how the methodology was different in a Montessori school. Than it was, uh, the children, basically, the bottom line, as my understanding was at that point, was children are taught to learn. They're basically not taught information. They're taught to learn so that they can learn themselves. Anyway, that uh, kind of led uh, to, to later homeschooling because that, that particular Montessori school had a lot of kind of new agey, uh, you know, influences, and we were not very happy about that. So at any rate, we started homeschooling. And several years later, uh, I, I, I was listening to a, a podcast, much like this one, I suppose, uh, an interview with Colin Gunn. Colin and I uh, partnered in this film, Indoctrination. And I knew of him. And uh, anyway, in this podcast, he had talked about uh, wanting to do a film on public education. And he had this idea of going around in a big school bus, a big yellow school bus around the country with his homeschool family. He also homeschooled. And uh, and I thought, well, that's fascinating because at the time I was living in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, I was helping a ministry called the Exodus Mandate. You go to exodusmandate.org and see what they're about. And they, they basically call Christian parents to remove their children from the public schools uh, to give them a Christian education. And so I was working with them. I did a video called The Call to Dunker, uh, uh, which, which uh, was pretty much doing the same thing, calling parents, Christian parents, to remove their kids from the public schools. And we were talking about doing a documentary about the history of compulsory education. Anyway, long story short, uh, Colin and I started talking about our, our two films, and eventually through counsel and prayer, and you know, we just decided, let's, let's just make one film. So 
we we teamed up and uh, we uh, we bought a bus and uh, got his family and part of my family and then my whole family. But well, we're behind the scenes and the guns are in front of in front of the camera. Um, and we traveled from Texas all the way up to New England and uh, everywhere in between and uh, interviewed uh, teachers, principals, students, pastors, theologians, historians, uh, scholars, authors, etc. And, uh, and kind of went through the different places where the history of, of compulsory education and, and the, sort of the, the transformation of our public school system took place across the United States. When, when, when you did that, was did, what, did you have a clear goal? And yeah, you know, I've seen I've seen indoctrination. It's it's you know, very well done. I, I highly recommend it. When you started out, did you have a clear goal as far as the message you wanted, or did that message change by the time it was done? Well, we started with uh, a desire to to present a, a, a case. In our case, we wanted to make it. Um, using three um, sort of three aspects of, of understanding something, which we wanted to make a biblical case, uh, we wanted to make a historical case, and then we wanted to make an empirical, uh, more experiential case. So uh, we set out to interview. We had sort of a hit list of people that we wanted to interview because we had read their stuff or heard about them. And as the, that, the film did actually change as we progress as you as you suggested uh, because in God's providence we we met people that we did not think you know about we have never even heard of them and people just popped up out of nowhere and uh, and made it into the film uh, case in point uh, a, a teacher in, in Nebraska in Omaha who got fired from his position and he ended up uh, coming to North Carolina where I live and uh, and uh, so got to know him and included his story, got, got the archival footage of the TV coverage of the time of his firing, and, uh, and it was basically because he used uh, Christ's name in the classroom. He would use, you know, sort of a, mo- a moral uh, backbone to, to discipline in the, tr- in, the, in the classroom. You know, okay, there's, this is wrong because it is wrong, not just because you know, it offends the other person. But you to, you know, and, so, and he was seeing progress with his students, and uh, but some didn't like that, and anyway, you get into trouble. So and there was another teacher who um, who also uh, quit uh, from the public schools. There was a principal uh, who, who uh, decided to leave as well, and that's all documented in the film. But I think when we started out, we wanted to just kind of explore it. You know, as a documentary filmmaker, you, you don't go out, you know, with a sort of a thesis, and then you're going to demonstrate the whole thing. You, you, you do have an idea, and you do have a point of view. There's really no such thing as objectivity. Everybody has a subjective perspective, and so do we. And, uh, and so you do have an idea, but you do want to be fair. You, you try to, to, to make a, a compelling case, uh, but it's definitely from a perspective of Christians do not belong in the public schools. That's, that's sort of a presupposition that we came to this project with, which was, hey, you know, Christians should really not be in the public schools, and, uh, and let's, let's see how we can make that case from, again, a biblical a historical and an empirical uh, perspective. Excellent. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did a little, uh, little historical work. We're going to take a break. When we come back. I'd like you to break down the uh, the biblical case again. There's a lot of obviously a lot of professing believers in the United States, and uh, I know uh, you felt this. Yeah, you know, I have. And uh, you start to talk to some people. And uh, sometimes, kind of like you know, when you're driving, a lot of people will get will be a little bit more aggressive behind the wheel than they would face to face. See on social media, and uh, yeah, I, I I post an article, uh, sometimes even a secular article, that uh, is very critical of government education, and uh, I'm sure you. Mr. President, members of Congress, you've been making a lot of noise about taking our guns away. But you might want to review history. 1835, Gonzales, Texas Territory. The authorities wanted to confiscate the big gun that protected that colony. 
You know what the people said? Come and take it. Because they were willing to fight for their freedom and their guns. So are we. Come and take it if you want it. Come and take it if you think you can. Come and take it, but I want you. You'll have to cry it from my cold dead hands. We want the freedom that God gave us. So you best not cross that line. If you want this gun, you gotta come through us and take it. One shot at a time. Just like Gonzalez, we're keeping our guns. If anyone wants to call in, that number is 619-638-8559. I'm speaking with Joaquin Fernandez, documentary filmmaker, produced the documentary Indoctrination, Indoctrination, calling Christian parents in particular to not use the government school system. So, Joaquin, what what would you summarize as the biblical case against government education? Well, let me mention that the subtitle of the film is Public Schools and the Decline of Christianity in America because the case that we make is not only a sort of a uh, an invitation or a rebuke to the church saying, hey, you need to get the kids out because of this and this, this reason. That's part of it. But I think really our, our um, desire... And our aim was to to show that a lot of what has happened in this nation, a lot, not all, but a lot, uh, can be traced back to our education system. Uh, Because, you know, a lot of, um, well, actually, let me say how um, Bodie Bauckham, who's a a, a black pastor from Texas, uh, he he said it best, uh, and I'm going to quote, he says, from kindergarten to 12th grade, children spend 14,000 seat hours in school. Whoever controls those 14,000 hours controls our children's worldview. And he says, black families often ask me, often ask me, why should we leave the public schools when our forefathers fought, marched, led, and sometimes even died so that we might have the right to attend those schools? And he says, my answer is quite simple. Our forefathers marched and bled and even died so that we would not have to accept the kind of inferior education that is currently inflicted on many minority students. If you ask me, we need to march some more. And the first place we need to march is right out of the front door of those Christ-dishonoring, academically inferior, soul-killing government indoctrination centers, end quote. That's, that's about Ibaka. So I think part of what we wanted to do was to, yes, call the church and Christians and even Americans, they're God-fearing Americans and love, love, who love this nation, to not give their children over to their enemy, their ideological enemy, their spiritual enemy, uh, because that's how you win a war. You win a war uh, having a, a long-haul plan. Uh, so to, to answer your, your question, I would say, um, you know, considering that 90% of Christians allow uh, our government to educate the children, uh, and recent studies have shown that a staggering 70 to depending on the study, 88% of the children of evangelicals are leaving the church by the end of their freshman year in college. Uh, the correlation is clear. If we continue to send our children to Caesar for their education, we need to stop being surprised when they come back as Romans. So the Bible uh, asks the question, you know, you know, how, how, does, how does he who controls the school control the world? You know, whoever, it's, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle, right? Uh, God tells us exactly how in his word. And he says in Luke 6:40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. So if you're sending your children to liberals to be educated, what do you expect, right? Uh, this passage uh, is the New Testament version of training up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it, which is an Old Testament proverb, Proverbs 22, 6. So it's simple. It makes sense. You know, whoever is your teacher is also your discipler. Education and discipleship cannot be separated. Whoever is educating our, our children is also discipling them. So, it, which means that whoever educates the majority of children 
disciplining or discipling, sorry, the majority of the children. And and if the pupil is not above his teacher, and if everyone will ultimately be like his teacher, one can clearly see the power of education. So the 90% of Christian parents who send their children into the public education system, the government schools, often defend their decision in the same general way. First, they go through the regular rigmarole of of our school is different, right? Well, it doesn't matter who they are or whether from the child school is always different. You know, they admit that almost every other school in the United States is having major problems, but theirs is an exception. But you know, that's not that's just an it's an illusion because what we do and we, we try to be thorough in our in our uh, study in this film is hey, even the best schools in America, they're still indoctrinating them, like you said, into Marxism, relativism, really socialism, collectivism. And they're not training them in the fear and admonition of the Lord at all. And so, you know, you get it from your peers or from your teachers, from the curriculum, from the system itself. And so, you know, we, we believe that the Bible is pretty clear when it tells you that a teacher, a student, a pupil or a student will be like this teacher. And uh, and then one more one more case that I would make is from uh, Deuteronomy. And the Bible says, uh, you know, uh, Although the word school doesn't exist in any of the following passages or in the scripture, uh, there's good reason for, for, for this because the Bible actually doesn't know anything about schools. You know, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You see, that would be all the time. An administrator in a public school system in, uh, in uh, I think it was Amarillo, Texas, uh, came. He said, you know, that as a Christian, we have to have them in our ki- in uh, in the schools, and uh, they're, they're, our kids have to be in their schools, and we need to be engaged in the schools. But when when you mention uh, this passage of scripture to, to a person like that, all they can respond is, well, I always thought that that meant, you know, non-school hours, you know. What, what, you know, not not the, the hours when they were in the school. Well, this was Deuteronomy. Where, where did Moses send children to school? At school, did Moses send the children to? You know, there was no school, and uh, Jesus didn't go to school. You know, so now we say, well, this is too much. You're asking us to like do away with school. Well, <laughs> you know, if, if it wasn't there in the first place, you know, our forefathers were not educated. A lot of them were not educated in the schools as we know schools today. They were places where you could go, even back far. If you go, if you go and you look at the little house in the prairie, right? That was a one-room schoolhouse. Now that is a school, but even there, you have it's it's run by the very very local government, you know, yes. parents, and very very local. Uh, and also, uh, you know, all the kids are together; they're learning together. But this age-segregated sort of uh, factory system uh, is definitely does not work. Everybody knows it doesn't work. Everybody knows it, but we're just, we just don't want to hear what God has to say. We don't want to listen to reason because it's really easy. I think a lot of it has to do with selfishness and greed and, uh, you know, you want to two jobs and everybody making money and let someone else educate your children, but it's a tragic, tragic results for our nation. I, I, I agree. With you. I, think, I think the point is excellent as far as Deuteronomy and the covenant community of Israel that the responsibility then is given to the parents, and we have this pragmatic American idea, and we see it not to get distracted, not to talk about youth ministry. But we get it's the same concept that we think that can be outsourced. So in other words, we, we somehow think it's almost like a mystical that something mystical is going to happen if the parents let someone else, particularly unbelievers, uh, influence their children, teach them from yeah, age five through grade 12, you know, through 17 years old, that, uh, well, it's, I mean, that's going to be wonderful results. I mean, before I knew anything philosophically about Marxism, before I knew anything about, uh, you know, collectivism and individual rights, before I knew anything about the progressive era, it always struck me as bizarre that we have this school system where you take a child as young as five or six years old and get him out of the house and send them somewhere to learn something by someone else. It always struck me as bizarre. And then again, you learn just a little bit about history, just a little bit about the philosophy. 
and uh, you know the Prussian system that if you want to really crush uh, the individual identity of people, if you want to use, if you want to devise a system to socialize people to make them more alike, uh, like one another, if you want to turn out, churn out obedient factory workers, then you do K through 12. And I think the tragedy for believers using the system is that some people are well-meaning. I think they're deceived. They think, well, you know, they're going to be a witness. They're going to be a testimony there. And I think that could be true. Theoretically, it could be true if there was no stipulations or limitations upon what a Christian teacher or a Christian administrator could say or do. But, Joaquin, what what would happen if, you know, you had a Christian Christian school teacher in, in the government school system that, uh, you know, start to share the faith. What would happen? <laughs> well, what would happen is what happened to Robert Ziegler. Robert right. Ziegler. Tell us. Preach it. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a, well, I could just give you his testimony. He's one of the men who was a teacher, a math teacher, in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, that I mentioned to you before. And uh, and he he uh, talks about how, well, and we show it in the film. You know, all he was doing was... Um, he, he got convicted that, you know, if I'm going to teach, and he, he started reading, what does the Bible say about teaching? I mean, because he's a teacher and he's a Christian, right? So you want to say, does the Bible say anything about teaching? Of course it does. So he started studying that and, and kind of getting convicted that, hey, how do I teach these children, these young men and women, uh, about anything, you know, uh, without uh, relying on God? You know, so you can say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, you can teach two plus two is four. You don't need God for that. Well, I'm not going to get into that whole philosophical argument, but the, the point is that, you know, he found himself, as most teachers will tell you, doing mostly crowd control. You know, that's what they do, really, most of the time. Uh, and the teaching is very minimal, right? And we know that. But anyway, uh, so his crowd control was very ineffectual, you know, and that we, I've talked to a number of teachers, and there's another one in the film as well that tells the same thing. And so, uh, you know, he, he started just to kind of, you know, when, when a person needed help or something, he would
of the ungodly. But what kind of counsel are, are your children receiving in, in a government school? Is it godly counsel? Is it based on the fear of the Lord? Is it proclaiming Jesus as Lord over all creation, including math and science and history? No, of course not. The education they're getting in government schools is ungodly counsel. And the scripture says that you're blessed if you avoid that. Then it says, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Well, when your children are in, the gov- in an environment and they're walking in the halls and they're in the locker room, you know, they're hearing about all the music and the movies of the world and the sensuality and sin of the world, all the temptations that are there, that's the way of sinners. And we're instructed to avoid that. And, and finally, do not sit in the seat of the scornful or the mocker. The children in these schools develop an attitude of resentment toward authority, toward parents, you know, toward the teachers. And that is something that we are told by the scriptures to avoid. But it says, but his delight, the student's delight, is to be in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he is to meditate both day and night. It's Psalm 1. You can't have a student meditating on God's law both day and night if they're in a government school. It just can't happen. If anyone, uh, if anyone would like to uh, discuss this with Joaquin or I, that number again is 619-638-8559. It's KRP Radio Show. We're talking about education. We're talking about Christian education. We're talking about the documentary Indoctrination. Joaquin, when you talk about the public school system, just two things, government school system, two things really, yeah, I agree with what you said, two things that, that jump out at me. A lot of things that the government does, the social engineers do, is designed over time. Uh, they have a plan. And, you know, we tend to look at it, you know, just in our, you know, the speck of our time, our subjective experience where, where, where we are right here and right now. But you, you think right. about something like Obamacare. They've tried that before, didn't work. They got it now, and they, they want a single payer system. But my point of using that as an illustration is that they know exactly what they're doing. They gave us that; it will fail, and then the people that created that abomination, their result, their their solution will be problem reaction solution. They create the problem, know what the reaction will be. Their solution will be a single payer system, which will be even worse. Look at education; as the culture has degenerated. So have the schools. So, if a Christian, if a well-meaning Christian, sent their children to, you know, local government elementary school in the 1940s, okay, mm. 1950s, it's, you know, it wouldn't be like it is today. There's no doubt because the culture wasn't as corrupt. But the other right. point you touched on, which is now even more, which is really more more fundamental to the whole discussion as far as responsibility of parents to their children as stewards. You know, God gives God gives life, God entrusts uh God entrusts parents with children. Okay, we know that according to the Bible. The the, the real fundamental question here again is, is it right? I mean, even if you could find, let's say, the imaginary government school existed where every teacher was morally upright. But the vast majority were lost. Would it be right to then still entrust, you know, starting at age five or six through age 17, would it be right to then entrust your children to the influence of those people, you know, five days a week to let them influence them? And I think the answer biblically would be no. So what we look at this again, I think the biblical argument you gave is really, it's, uh, I think it is airtight. Uh, it's real. God's people shouldn't trust unbelievers, uh, people that are hostile to God. They shouldn't let them influence their children in a profound way like that. But then, uh, beyond beyond the influence, <laughs> what how what else is going on aside from what's taught? What's taught? What's taught is bad enough. In other words, you're going to get you're not going to get real history from a history textbook. Okay, that's that's real clear. So apart uh-huh. from you know, you know, what's intellectually deficient, what's even more important that, that you stressed is the moral the moral training. Okay, that, that there's just two verbs, I'm sure you're familiar with them, in the New Testament. Yeah, 
training, train child, the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, the New American Standard says discipline and instruction, paideia and nuthesia. You're really going to let people that are lost, and you have no idea, and the most responsible Christian parent, you could, you know, you could basically you know, go to every PTA meeting, every school board meeting. It's still impossible for you to know everything that they're being instructed, and as you touched on too, how could you possibly know socially how they're being influenced then outside the classroom? It, it, it can't happen. It's just it can't happen. And I, I mean, for in both these areas, in terms of the intellectual deficiencies of, of the government school system, as well as you know the the uh, you know the moral deficiencies, you even have lost people now that care about their children, as you well know, and they're starting to homeschool <laughs> because even based upon their worldview. They want no part of it, and to me, you know that that's fascinating. And they know, you know, you and I, we can't, we can't stop the confiscatory taxation. We, we can't stop ourselves, you know, the Christians now, even Christians. Christians can't stop, and most of them don't want to stop the public school system. I mean, there's a point in my life, and I'd use the phrase, I, I'd say I was brainwashed. I may be brainwashed now, but that's true brainwashing. Cause I don't know what areas to correct. But one area I was brainwashed in the past is I thought. If we pull the plug, or if that plug was pulled on government education, it would be horrific. I mean, you'd you'd have children dying in the streets and stuff. It would be horrible. Now, the reality is, if if tomorrow, if tomorrow we could stop all public education or the funding, the reality is, very quickly, without any government reg- any government regulation, we get we get at, away from this idea of the state licensing a teacher. Okay, if that all went away, very, very quickly, there would be better schools that would cost less. You know, say cost less, you can't buy into that lie of free public education. None of us own a business in this country. None of us own a home. Because, as you well know, even if you don't have a mortgage to your business, even if you don't have a mortgage to your home, you miss one tax payment, and what happens? The government takes it. Okay, so we really got those two planks of the Communist Manifesto tied into this, you know, horrific idea of government education. You know, we've got the abolition of private property <laughs> and and the illusion of free public education because that serves. There is no morally neutral or objective worldview. The state has created this system to basically perpetuate the power of the state. Another thing that I find really disturbing about the government schools is that it's prisoner training because you go and you, th- you see about the security and there's all lockdown drills and all. It's really it's teaching the children how to be good prisoners. Same thing with the TSA. It's really, it's really good mass socialization to you know, let people know that they're prisoners, that we don't own, we don't own, our, we don't own our bodies, we don't own ourselves. The state does. So, so Joaquin, where uh, where could someone uh, get a hold of this documentary, Indoctrination? Well, they can go to indoctrinationmovie.com, uh, and they can find a DVD there. And from there, they can go to our uh, video on demand, which you know you can go on vimeo.com/slash/word-on-demand/slash/word-indoctrination. If you go to indoctrinationmovie.com, you can you can get the information here. You know, see about the, the movie, the book that that we wrote with it. Well, and, you, know, it's, um, you can go to the Facebook page as well and join the conversation there. Uh, but yeah, we we uh, we got really a really really good response when we came out with it, and, uh, and countless families have, have been blessed and written to us, challenged and encouraged. We're very 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 glad that the Lord has used uh, this film in the way that He has. It's really humbling. What what was the Facebook page again? Uh, Facebook.com slash forward indoctrination movie. But if you just do indoctrination movie on Facebook, you do a search, uh, you'll find it. Certainly. We have a YouTube page. Yeah. Has anyone, have you interacted with any parents that saw the documentary and then decided to, uh, to leave the government school system? Oh, yeah. Numerous. Yeah. Many, many. That's great. Yeah. We, we, we made the film. Uh, sort of with a couple of audiences in mind. One 
uh, our first year was the homeschoolers, just to encourage them to finish their race, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But also because uh, some, sometimes you start homeschooling, as you know, you probably know, you know, the reasons are, well, you know, I'm, I don't want my, in fact, those, the, statistically, those are the reasons are, uh, you know, I want to give my children a good moral, you know, and the, the values of my child, or, hey, the academic uh, uh, requirements, or the, the I, I don't like what's coming out of public schools, uh, the peers, or the, 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 the indoctrination that's going on, whatever. But the truth is that when you when you get into it, it's really, you find out that it's really about the heart of your child. You know, the Lord uses the time together to knit your hearts together. You get to disciple them yourself, you know, you and your wife. Uh, and then they're more like you, actually, than, than those teachers that typically are liberals, you know. And the writers of curriculums, I mean, those are the hippies that, that went into the universities, you know, and, and that's the ideology. But it's all based on this progressiveness, on this sort of status, uh, you know, hey, the government is going to educate children. You know, that that's a that's a that's a Marxist idea, like you said at the very beginning, and uh, that's not what uh, Christianity is about. Christianity is about yeah. I mean, the Great Commission, right? It's discipling uh, uh, the nations, teaching them to obey all things that Christ taught. That's that's what we need to be doing with our first uh, uh, disciples, which are our children. Yeah, I mean to uh to be a disciple is to learn and uh you know who who is teaching you and uh you know what what are you learning in the political realm a lot of people are fighting common core now it's the latest federal scheme you know to further standardize education and uh it's all really bad uh seeing any of that about the common core curriculum but I, I just try to encourage some of my activist friends to say, okay, if you step back, if you really want to, if you really want to end this, you know, if you really want to slay the beast, understand fundamentally, can you get back to the rule of law in the states, the Constitution? There's no federal base. There's no base in the Constitution for any federal involvement in education. So if you really want to solve this, eliminate all federal funding of education. And that gets back to the corruption, really, of uh, people in the two-party system. They they don't want to give up that money and the control. They really don't. So they continue to perpetuate a system that many know is fundamentally flawed and designed to fail. I go back to those studies again. No matter how much money is poured into the school system, uh, there aren't you know, demonstrably positive results that does not get better. If the school, I mean, I'd be, again, philosophically opposed to government schools, no matter how they were run. But the way they're run now, as they continue to push really international standards through the federal government, and as they continue to standardize the curriculum through textbooks, I mean, it would be, again, I still wouldn't endorse a public school, but imagine if you did at least have public schools that were truly run at the local level and there weren't any textbooks. In other words, the teachers would choose their own books. It wouldn't be limited to what were there you know, four or five you know, textbook publishers. Just like you know, there's a few news networks. You know, they, they want to standardize. They want to control the narrative. But the way it is now, again, we have the worst of both worlds. <laughs> and yeah, it's the thing for Christian parents. Again, we can't change a political system overnight. It'd be great if we could. But what we can do uh, is we can take care of our children. Got a call here. Let's see who it is. I think I might know. Hello? Are you there? I don't think they're there. I'm not sure. Hello? So, Joaquin, any other thoughts before uh, before we come to the end of the KRP radio show? You know, I, I was kind of uh, looking at our book here, and uh, a friend of ours, that you, you know, also Chuck uh, Lavodier, he, he wrote the, the he was the editor of the book, and he wrote a note here, and I think it's a good uh, something good to read as we close this time. In part, he wrote. The history of public schools is briefly examined within the book, You Now Possess the 
am confident that most other individuals like me who consider themselves to be generally well-informed on the social, cultural issues of our day will read through this book and realize that their knowledge on the topic at hand was barely scratched the surface. For surface. And the deeper you dig, the dirtier it gets. Suffice it to say that the one-room schoolhouses of the past did not mutate to the monster that is today's public school system. Those schoolhouses of old were beaten up and bullied out of existence by a bigger, battered government and big business-backed machine that had completely turned any sense of true education on its head and made off with the taxpayers' lunch money. I love that because really, you know, uh, it's it, when you see that it's like $700 billion in, 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 uh, in, uh, in education, I mean, and this was a couple of years ago, I don't know what it is now, um, it's, it's, it's a monstrosity. Uh, and on, on the website, actually, for, uh, for this radio show, uh, Fudgy put uh, a graphic here that says public school growth from 1950 to 2009. Okay, this is a little outdated, but um, 96% growth in students. Okay, 96, so almost 100% growth. In number of teachers, 252% growth. So there's 100% or, or, or a little less growth in students, but there's a 252% growth in teachers. But guess yeah. what? There's a 702% growth in non-teaching staff. So you have all these yeah. educrats, all these professionals uh, that are really, you know, basically they're running the schools and, and, and the ideological uh, progressive mindset. It's really, like you were saying, collectivism is creating the, the future, it's, uh, you know, you, it's no surprise that we're where we are right now. It's, all you have to do is look back. And that's one thing that I would encourage people to do when they watch this film is to, to keep an eye out for the history because, boy, did they do a number on us. And uh, if we can wake up and see if this is what's happening, we can at least make an impact by removing our own children from, this, from these government indoctrination centers and, uh, and have an impact on, on our future generations that way. Yeah, it, it gets down. It goes back to you know really the way Christians should view this again. It really is individual versus collective rights. We can't, you know, we can't change the system. I wish we could, because uh, everyone w- would be better if there wasn't any more confiscatory, confiscatory taxation, and perpetual property taxes for government schools, which are designed to continue to get bigger and uh, indoctrinate us, and you know really not, not teach people. But Christians can control and should and are commanded to be responsible for their own children. That's the beauty of it is that, you know, we change the system one at a time. If in one, North Carolina, for example, has 100 counties, 100 counties, and the government school system is administered at the county level. You know, they suck in the federal money, they suck in the state money, but then it's run through the school boards at the county level. Imagine if in one of these smaller counties... If 90% of the people just stop using the government schools, wouldn't that be wonderful? Just see it go away on its own? (laughs) Because then they couldn't justify the money. Right now, the illusion is always you have to build more schools. You have to build bigger schools in order to make... Yeah, in order to help the education, you you need to spend more money. You You need more of everything. But if people just stop using them... No use for money, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. And you know what? Uh, the uh, Trojan War, right? You, you know, everybody knows what a Trojan horse is. Uh, the crafty people from uh, uh, in that in that in that story, they they uh, they won the, uh, the the Trojan War, right, for Greece by deception with the Trojan horse. So an entire city was was uh, desolated by by sleight of hand. Worship of a false goddess, false security, and all that. The Trojans sincerely thought the war was over, but <laughs> sincerity, but it's insufficient without the truth. They found out too late that they were wrong. They unknowingly led the enemy right into their city's hearts, blindly trusted the enemy's word, failed to do their own research and inspection, right, and became complacent, focused on their own pleasures. Because of these foolish actions, they lost their children, their families, their cities, and their lives. America is Troy. 
public education system, the Trojan Horse. Yep. Yeah, they have uh, they have changed the narrative, and that's that's one of the that's one of the philosophical and as Christians we know it's a spiritual that's one of the spiritual battles we face that well-meaning Christians and I used to be there they they just cannot conceive that if the public schools went away uh, you know how could the children you know what would happen to the children what would they do again it would be it, it would be tremendously better if the government was completely out of it. Uh, because they are teaching a worldview, and uh, we know what that worldview is. It's it's not it's not for individual liberty. Uh, it's not to promote obviously a Christian worldview. <laughs> it's 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 antithetical to liberty. It's antithetical to biblical Christianity. Joaquin, one more time. Where where is that movie online? Indoctrinationmovie.com. Indoctrinationmovie.com. Thank you much, my friend. Uh, you have been listening to the KARP radio show. I am not Pudgy Miller. I'm Rocco P. You can visit my website, paradshift.net, P-A-R-A-D-S-H-I-F-T dot net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you, Pudgy, we'll see you next week. K-I-R-P Radio!